Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Well, if you haven't done so already, turn to Hebrews chapter 7, continuing on in Hebrews. And um, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. We're in uh, a passage uh, in Hebrews chapter 7 where we learn more about Melchizedek. We've already seen him introduced, so we'll talk more about him in a little bit. But uh, this also uh, tells us some things about Melchizedek and how Abraham tithed to him. So we'll talk about tithing some today too. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, which later became Jerusalem, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, a tithe of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, this Melchizedek, verse 3 says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth, a tithe of the spoils. And indeed those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brothers, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Woo! There's a lot there at the end, and some of it doesn't. What we won't talk about till next week, because the following passage goes into that even more. Um, but uh, we're going to talk. Uh, the title of the message is "It's All About Mel," and today we're going to see the author of Hebrews affirm the practice of tithing on his way to making a larger point: the incomparable worth of the one we're tithing to. So your first fill in the blank is the word "larger." And uh, did I have two, the words two brothers on there, on your notes? Did I put those on there or not? Good, okay, it would have been up there at the very top. I was going to tell you a story, but I think I'm going to borrow that illustration and share it Sunday, so uh, you don't need to hear it twice, but you can be lathered with anticipation to hear uh, a little joke on Sunday related to things there. But uh, as we exposit the text, we want to say there's something about tithing. So the word tithe... Tithes or tenth, when speaking of biblical giving, occur nearly 50 times in the Bible. And it's referred to seven times in ten verses here. So we uh, read about it quite a bit here. It is not the major point of the passage, but understanding what the tithe is does help us to understand this passage. So I thought we'd take a few minutes and talk about it. The major point, of course, of this passage is the incredible worth of Jesus as he fulfills his eternal priesthood on our behalf. So uh, Jesus is 
the, our prophet, he's our priest, he's our king. Here it talks about a guy named Melchizedek who was a king and a priest of God Most High. King of Jerusalem, uh, priest of God Most High. And the author argues that one of the ways you know Melchizedek was great is that he received a tithe from Abraham centuries before Abraham's great, 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 whatever grandson Levi became, you know, Aaron became the priest of the tribe of Levi and received tithes as part of Israel's economy and stuff. So um, the, our, the, in, in Abraham's act of faith, in tithing to Melchizedek, we see the kind of humble faith that the rest of Scripture will call for. So in the Gospel of John, there's a really intriguing passage where Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And so we go back to you know, Genesis 12 to 25 or so. It covers the years of Abraham's life. And we go, what are some of the occasions where Jesus may have met with uh, Abraham and Abraham rejoiced to see that day? Now, of course, we think about the three men uh, coming, and one of them, the angel of the Lord, we're told. And sometimes the angel of the Lord is a reference to God. He came and spent time with Abraham at his tent and pronounced that, that there'd be a miraculous birth, that Isaac would be born, and Sarah laughed, and, uh, and, and he called her on it, and she said, I didn't laugh. Oh, you laughed. <laughs> Don't tell you. You can't hide nothing from God. So that may have been uh, what is being referred to, or it could be this time that we hear about Melchizedek. So uh, if you were here about a month ago or so when I spoke, spoke on Hebrews chapter 5, I argued that in Genesis 14, when Abraham met Melchizedek, he met Jesus. And there's some teachers that don't think it was, that it's more of a type of uh, Christ instead of Christ himself, and they might be right, and I might not be uh, right here. But uh, this passage kind of makes you think even more like that when it talks about, in a moment we'll see, that he didn't have a father or a mother. When we call Jesus the Son of God, we're not talking biology in any sense whatsoever, right? Uh, We're talking about the eternal God the Son, that's part of the Godhead, and we can never think in terms of begats when we think about Jesus and his being the eternal Son of God. Uh, When you say, um, uh, a lot of Oriental uh, cultures have the phrase that someone is a son of the road. It doesn't mean that he literally is the road, you know, it means that he's a traveler, right? He's a traveler. And when Jesus is called Son of God for our benefit, it's like, you see this guy, you've seen God, you know, because he is God, the eternal Son of God, God the Son. And um, so that uh, Melchizedek. Okay, what did Abraham do to show his reverence for Melchizedek? He gave him a tenth or a tithe of all his possessions. And that's what a tithe is. It's just another way to say one-tenth of your income given to God as an act of obedience. The passage in Genesis 14 that Hebrews 7 refers to is the first example of tithing in the Bible. So the first time tithing occurs, it occurs in Genesis 14. Abraham, whose forces had just uh, helped uh, get kidnapped a lot back, and so the the ones Abraham was with helped that side win. Uh, The king of Sodom was so grateful to Abraham that he wanted to give uh, Abraham all kinds of stuff, and Abraham said, no, the guys that fought with me, they can get... Uh, a fair uh, rendering, but may never be said the king of Sodom made Abraham rich. But then Abraham also meets the king of uh, uh, Salem there, Melchizedek, and tithes to him. And so it's fitting that um, Genesis 14 is the first place it occurs 
because Abraham is the father of faith and people of faith ever since have followed his example, both Jews and Christians, right? Uh, we want to have faith like Abraham. And uh, it's extolled in the New Testament. But let's look at some other verses on tithing the Bible since uh, we have the time to do it. Numbers 18.26. Numbers 18.26. Let's take a moment and turn there. I put it in your notes. So you've got to go all the way back to the first five books of the Bible. Numbers is the fourth book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And along with Deuteronomy, that makes up the Law of Moses, the Torah. Sometimes called the Pentateuch because... Five Pentagon, five-sided building, Pentateuch, five scrolls. In Numbers 18.26, the whole section reads the tithe of the Levites. But look at verse 26 says. You'll hear some of you getting there. All right. Verse 25, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 26, Speak thus to the Levites and say to them, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. So tithing was the law of the land for the Israelites. As an act of faithful obedience to God, they would bring the tithe to the tabernacle, later the temple, and all the ministry done to the tabernacle, and later the temple was supported by these tithe offerings, but the tithe also supported their ministry to strangers, orphans, and widows. So the way the Old Testament economy worked was, and later this wasn't happening, and the prophets chastised the people some because they're like, the strangers aren't getting taken care of, the widows aren't getting taken care of, there's no, you're not able to administer justice properly in all the different things. So within Israel, God was the king, and Levites were spread out across the country, they would help come to Jerusalem and do the uh, service of the people, but they were also the ones that administered the cities of refuge that you could go to. Uh, they were also the ones that uh, you could hear judicial cases before um, and, and get things solved like that. If you had mold in your home, you were going to go to one of these cats. You know, Within the Levites were the, the priests and those that would do the sacrifices for Israel, uh, so Aaron's within the Levites and things like that. And so... What, what kept the whole thing going, the program for the country, was this obedience and tithing. So we note that the ministers, the Levites themselves, were to tithe as well. So the people brought the tenth to the tabernacle. The Levites used it to administer all that, they, that was to go on in the country, but they also themselves were tithers. Um, now, questions naturally arose about tithing. One of the questions the Israelite asked was, what if I have a particularly good year, can I still just tithe last year's amount? In other words, once I get it set, if there's an increase, can I just do what I did last year? And the answer was no, a tenth met a tenth. Uh, Deuteronomy 14.22, so if you still are in numbers, you can turn next to Deuteronomy. Um, and in Deuteronomy 14.22, let's take the time to go there too. Moses answers that question pretty good in Deuteronomy 14.22. He says, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. So a tenth is a tenth. Um, so even with clear instructions like these, there were many times the people of God simply neglected or refused to bring their tithes to the Lord house, Lord's house. I think about how fickle we are as sinners. Um, 
you know, Ezra and Nehemiah led out in reforms and led Israel. Uh, Nehemiah talks about a time he came back into town, and the poor old Levites they had to have part-time jobs because the people weren't tithing. They couldn't support the ministry, you know, in those things and all that was to go on. And so the prophets would rail on uh, Israel for their disobedience. Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10. Uh, can we find that one? Probably the easiest way to find Malachi 3 is to start by going to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. And if it's the first book of the New Testament, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi or Malachi. And in Malachi 3, 8 through 10, talking about this reality that was for sure true of Israel under the Old Covenant. Verse 8 of chapter 3 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you, God? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Verse 11, we'll do a little bit more. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land. That's where the word Hephzibah comes from, delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So Hephzibah Baptist churches are delightful, you know, uh, just like Beulah means Mary, doesn't it? And what's the other one that's right there, too? Might be another reference to delightful. Okay, anyway. Um, so he uses the word storehouse there, and one of the discussions people have is we know that when you got the Old Testament and when you got the New Testament, um, some things carry over from Old Covenant to New Covenant, and others don't. So uh, in the Old Testament, Jewish folks were to circumcise their boys at eight days old, but... There's many things in the New Testament that say you're not under the obligation to do that. That was national Old Testament Israel. And if a Gentile comes to faith in the New Testament, he doesn't need to circumcise his son. Uh, in the New Testament church economy, what happens is believers testify to their faith through believers' baptism. And so uh, now we know we can learn principles from every part of Scripture great passage in Romans says everything written in the past was written for our instruction. Uh, but it is not wrong to ask the question, when Malachi says bring your tithes into the storehouse, Israel was required to bring a tenth. Is that true for churches as well? It's not addressed as much in the New Testament. So what are we to make of that? Is the tithe as something you're supposed to do, is that more like circumcision was for Israel? And we can honestly say there's not a whole lot about it in the New Testament. But what there is in one teaching of Jesus that's repeated in Matthew and Luke, a statement that's clear enough that it looks like, you know, tithe is still kind of the minimum where you try to aim at and then you go from there. What am I talking about? Well, Matthew 23, 23. Turn to Matthew 23, 23. So, man, we're getting a little sketch here as we walk through some of what the Scripture says on this topic. And some of you have heard me do this before. 
uh, and especially this verse. Uh, one clear statement by Jesus is enough for me. And here's what Matthew 23, 23 says. It's in the section of the most woes that are pronounced in any one chapter in the whole Bible. Isn't that interesting? And he's particularly picking on the scribes and the Pharisees who had gone above what the Old Testament law called for. Um, and it was all about externals and not doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly with your God. You know, the internal love relationship we have with the Lord, the desire to obey Him that overflows into service and, and fruit-bearing for Him. So in the midst of all those woes, in Matthew 23, 23, says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of everything, of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Now let me see if I've done a good job on teaching on this in the past. There's at least two ramifications that are clear from Matthew 23, 23 and the parallel verse that's like it in Luke. Uh, what, is, what, is, what is Jesus clearly uh, rebuking them for? Let's start with that. Anybody help me out here? Tithe, their time, their talents, other than money. I think it. I think I, I think tithe can apply to lots of areas. I've I've encouraged people to tithe their time too, right? You know, so that's that's good. Um, anybody else want to weigh in on it? Okay, so. Um, yeah, I think you guys are on to something there, and I think you guys know the answer, too. Uh, he says you've neglected the way to your matters of the law. So in other words, you do the things that we could put in a checklist, right? And we can think of things, you know, it is good for us to come to church. There's a command in Hebrews that we not forsake the assembling of the saints. Um, it is good to tithe. The question is, is it commanded of believers like it was for Old Testament believers, New Testament believers like Old Testament believers? But what he's rebuking here is, they are doing the checklist things faithfully, but they're not, he said, what does he call the way to your matters of the law? Justice and mercy and faith. And I believe in my, he has in mind there the, the, the Micah passage where he says, Micah 6, 8, God has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so they were doing the checklist things, but they weren't loving God like they should. They weren't loving others in the name of Jesus like they should. And so he says, you, you got things inverted. And there's, Jesus really challenges us many times to make sure that first and foremost is our love for God and our love for others, that's the greatest commandment, right? And the second greatest one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and the Pharisees loved each other, but didn't love those that needed the Lord. They often judged, you know, the Pharisee and the tax collector story Jesus told. The Pharisee said, God, thank you that I'm not like others, even like this guy over here, you know. I, uh, you know, I go to church twice, I go to temple twice a week, I tithe, and he said some other things that he does. And the other fellow just beat his chest and said, 
God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the one that went just home justified, not the other. So when we think of that kind of attitude, we want to make sure our love for God is driving everything else. So the first ramification for Matthew 23, 23 is that we don't want to get into formalist, checklist behavior that's not driven by internal love for God, love for others. That makes sense? Yeah, and many of you are great, great examples of that. Um, but there's a second ramification from it, because what does Jesus say here? He says, these you, have, you ought to have done. In other words, you should have kept the main thing, the main thing, loving God, loving people, right there at the start, your motivation always to love God and love people in his name. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In this case, what are the other things? Among them is things that are a checklist, like tithing, Right? Am I seeing that? Y'all seeing that as clearly as me? Is that Jesus basically saying, make sure you keep your priorities straight, loving God, loving people. But yeah, tithe also. <laughs> and the other checklist things, right? Like, don't forsake the assembling together the saints, you know, uh, you know do your part, etc. Do y'all see that? Do y'all see that? I think that's, for me, in all my looking in the Bible over the years, that's enough for me to feel good about bringing the tithe and then you get into the question as well the new testament believers think of the church like they thought of israel and I, I i don't know about that you know um but i know and you've heard me say it that um uh you know churches like the tabernacle have been incredibly blessed because the majority of our members going back to 1931 uh thought of themselves as obeying god out of a heart of love when they brought the tithe the tenth to the lord you say, well, Danny, why don't the apostles speak more about it? And I don't think we want to go there, do we? Uh, the apostles didn't have to say anything about it because it's evident the people were regularly giving a lot more than the tithe. Um, and again, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty here. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But in Acts 4, what does it tell us? It says in verse 34 and 35, now there was nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had a need. That's Acts 4, 34 and 35. When Ananias and Sapphira are judged, Peter makes it evident that this was not compulsory giving at all. People wanted to, and... Um, their problem, Ananias and Sapphira, was that they wanted to be viewed as givers when they really weren't given, and uh, so they lied. And Peter makes clear in his answer to them that uh, it's all about the willingness of the heart, you know. Um, and so, First uh, Corinthians sixteen is another good passage to go to. Verses one and two, Paul wrote. Concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So there's the idea of coming into God's house, having an offering. Um, and uh, uh, throughout the Old and New Testament, both uh, uh, proportional giving is uh, talked about the tithe sacrificial giving is uh, talked about those that want to make a sacrifice beyond the tithe and then of course just generosity uh, so when a person when God's people tithe they're making a faith statement 
They're saying God is the most valuable person in my life. My life is His. 100% of what I have is a blessing from Him, and in obedience I'm given 10% back. And it's nice to have some things readily apparent to us in the Bible um, when you think about it simply like that. Um, after believing... We're called to be baptized, and we either have been or we haven't been, right? <laughs> and you're either given 10% or not. Pretty, pretty easy to figure out. A kid making $10 a week, the tithe is a dollar. Youth, $100 a week, the tithe is 10 Adults, if you make $1,000 a week, your tithe is $100. Uh, so anyway, um, let me tell you a neat story. Uh, I think I've shared the names Lee and Debbie Hall before, and they're such neat people. Uh, she led the music for a while up there in uh, Waynesboro and Lee was the one who didn't believe and didn't follow the Lord uh, but he had so much about him that was so likable you know and uh, he's the one that Stonewall Jackson had a big part in him coming to Christ because he was a confederate reenactor who loved Stonewall Jackson and if you ever read up on Stonewall Jackson, Robert E. Lee there, there's a lot of Confederate guys that were racist rascals and stuff, but uh, Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee were just wonderful men of God. Um, and anyway, so he got to study in the life of Stonewall Jackson. Lee Hall did. And he came to understand that what made Stonewall Jackson, Stonewall Jackson, was his faith in God. And he just couldn't get around it. You know, the teaching of the Sunday school, the promoting God's work among African Americans, so many things that Stonewall Jackson was part of uh, were all driven by his faith in God. And uh, <laughs> so um, he, he uh, was, you know, I had talked to him and shared the gospel with him several times. Others had also. And I'll never forget the day that Lee Hall walked the aisle and he said, it's time for a change. And he's been a man of God ever since. And, you know, but contributing to his salvation was Stonewall Jackson's testimony. Anyway, I share that because Debbie had been a fine Christian for 20 years earlier, you know, in their marriage and all that. And, um, and she had, um, he, he loved her. He loved her. And she had said, Lee, um, we're supposed to tithe. And as a non-believer, he just loved his wife so much, he said, you know what? Uh, okay. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. I mean, I don't believe in stuff, but I love you and this makes you happy. And you know, so anyway, he actually was a tither before he was a Christian, which is one of my favorite stories. But anyway, and people ask, Danny, do you tithe? And I say, absolutely do. Have ever since I was saved at 17 years old. Not because I'm a pastor, but I believe because just being a Christian. Um, and God has blessed me unbelievably, just like Malachi 3 said he would. Uh, and thank God, you know who taught me how to tithe? The same guy that led me to the Lord. Doug Barr brought me to church where I was saved. And one day I saw him putting money in an envelope. And I said, hey, Doug, what are you doing? And he said, Danny, has anybody talked to you yet about tithing? I said, no. What's that? And he brought me through these scriptures just like we've looked at. And I said, huh, if it's good enough for Jesus. And if it's good enough for Doug Barr, it's good enough for me. <laughs> and I've been tithing ever since. And we taught our children to do that as well from the first part of their allowance. And not the leftovers, but the first fruits. And it's interesting to me that the author ties this in just as he has emphasized a Christian being right on the main things in the previous chapter. So what did he emphasize 20 verses before? The basics, repentance, faith, baptism, prayer, heaven and hell. We've been saved for a life, lifelong growth. The price tag for the growth will be perseverance through pain. And now in the context of bringing Melchizedek to the fore, uh, he talks about tithing seven times in 10 verses here in Hebrews. 
and this is probably the last place that it's clearly talked about like that. And I'll be the first to admit to you, you know, Paul and uh, in all Paul's writings, he concentrates on is you've been overwhelmingly blessed by the Lord. Be generous in return. And it looks to me like that was probably things started with the tithe, or that's where people shot it at first. But there's no other command after uh, the writings of um, Jesus where you get that. And that's where I think some, uh, you know, New Testament Christians in our day say, well, it's not commanded like it is, but certainly we wouldn't be less generous than Old Testament saints, would we? You know, et cetera. So any questions about that? Don't ask me about grocer, all that stuff. You know, that's I don't I don't get into the weeds on, on all those things. You know, because uh, uh, the tax code is so messed up that for some business owners, uh, you know, they they pretty much have to tithe on what they see instead of the overall amount because of all the different things that their the employees they're paying and all the different things. So. Uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't uh, claim to be an expert on how to parse all that out and don't really want to take the fun of it away either in the joy because it is, you know, uh, joyful generosity in response. But the point he's making here is the worth. In verse 3, we get back there. So let me get back to Hebrews where we're at here. And I've written on to verse 3 the same title as the title of the message. There was something about Mel. Look again at verse 3. It says, Melchizedek... We know his titles. He was the king of righteousness and the king of peace and the priest of God most high. Verse 3, look, it says he has no father, no mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. <laughs> and the only one I know like that is the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, right? Um, so Melchizedek, comes to Abraham Abraham tithes to Melchizedek and verse 3 says this Melchizedek didn't have a dad didn't have a mom there's no genealogical record of him (laughs) he didn't have any beginning of days and he won't have any end of days that's Jesus right I mean eternal son of God Uh, what is Micah say he'll be born in Bethlehem, but his days are from everlasting, even at, you know eternity. Uh, so there'll be a child born in Bethlehem one day, but his goings forth are from everlasting. He's always been around. And that kind of statement's being made here about him. And so if Melchizedek really was Jesus meeting with Abraham, it wouldn't be the only time Jesus shows up like that in the Old Testament. He um, probably is the commander of the Lord's army that talks to Joshua. He's undoubtedly the fourth man in the fire, the one like the Son of God that uh, helps the guys in Daniel's, uh, the, the fiery, you know, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and there's a fourth man in the fire. The fourth one's like the Son of God, you know, um, etc. So, so the author of Hebrews is continuing his contrast between the flawed priesthood of the sons of Levi and the perfect priesthood of the Son of God, identifying him with the priesthood of Melchizedek. Now think about the first high priest for a moment, Levi, right? Uh, Aaron's Aaron from the tribe of Levi. Exodus tells us that a man named Amron was Aaron's father. So that's Exodus 6.20. He was Moses and Aaron's and uh, uh, Miriam's father, Amron. Jochebed was their mother, and that'd be a great name. We ought to bring that name back. So if you've got a, someone you know having a little girl, say, let's name her Jochebed. 
maybe not. Uh, Aaron was born a slave in Egypt along with his sister Miriam, brother Moses. We know his genealogy. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses and Aaron and Aaron's son Eleazar go up to the top of Mount Hor, and Aaron dies there and is buried, and his son comes down, the new high priest of Israel. Aaron's priesthood, here's your fill in the blank, was a temporary priesthood, and quite frankly, it was a sin-stained priesthood. What did Aaron do even while Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments? Built a golden calf. And then when Moses confronted him about it, he said, well, listen, uh, these people, uh, they about made me do it. They gave me all their gold. I threw it in, and out came this, as if he hadn't done any work to fashion it, you know. Uh, And all the Egyptian gods were fertility-type gods and stuff, and so a golden calf was a... Uh, you know, not only a violation of don't make any graven images, it was basically saying this is your God rather than the God in heaven. Um, and then we think about his sons, right? Nadab and Abihu in Numbers 10, they offered strange fire. They did God's work their way. They wanted to offer leftovers instead of what God prescribed to do, and they were killed. So now that's not just all Bible trivia. It has profound implications for us as we live our lives. The author of Hebrews is telling us that something can happen for the Christian under the new covenant of grace that Jesus brought that simply was not possible, another fill in the blank for you, was not possible under the old covenant of law given to Moses. And so this is to bring home the truth uh, of this uh, incredible statement from later in the chapter. We're going to look at verse 24 and 25 in a minute, but... This whole point that's, you know, very, it's kind of technical in chapter 7 that we're looking at. Uh, so first we talked about how tithing is a response of a human to God. Abraham saw Melchizedek and he tithed to him hundreds of years before Israelites were commanded to bring their tithe to God through the Levitical priesthood. The point is Abraham was saying there's something about Melchizedek. There's something about him. And it was an act of worship, and it looks like he had what you call Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ, where he was expressing the infinite worth of uh, Jesus and the priesthood of Melchizedek. Turn to Psalm 110 for a moment. We'll look more at this next time. But Psalm 110 is one of the most quoted passages in all of the New Testament. It's not a long psalm, but it stands right here in the middle. So there's Genesis 14, there's Hebrews 6, 7, 8, all the passages that talk about Melchizedek and how this is a priesthood that is eternal and of God and goes back before the Levitical priesthood that Israel was under. Um... And Psalm 110 in the middle of those two kind of says, look, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Verse 4, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. Sounds a lot like Revelation at the end. 
He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook of the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Verse 4 is among the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New. You are a priest forever. The Lord has sworn and will not run out. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So what this looks like is Israel, the Mosaic covenant, was a temporary covenant. And the priestly part of it went through the tribe of Levi, through the priest of, priesthood of Aaron and sons. But that was Old Covenant. What Jesus has done for us is based on something more eternal than that, and that is the priesthood of Melchizedek that goes all the way back to the earliest pages of Scripture. This is pretty neat, isn't it? And he's got the power we're going to read next time of an undestructible life. So verses 24 and 25, the power of Christ's prayers for you. Let me read. Let's go down to the end of chapter 7 where we see in verses 24 and 25. But he, look up in verse 21. Do you see it? There's that quotation of Psalm 110. Verse 22 says, By so much more Jesus has become a surety, a pledge of a better covenant. Verse 24, But he, because he continues forever, didn't die like Aaron, didn't die like the sons, has an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25, What's all the ramifications of this for us today? Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. One of the most powerful verses. We know that we can picture in our mind Jesus, the babe of Jerusalem, born into the world, but existed forever. You know, here he is coming into time. The Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, we picture in our minds the images of Jesus, Jesus teaching the crowds and feeding the 5,000 and working miracles. We picture the horrible scene of him dying on the cross and then the thrill of knowing that he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. That's a pretty cool image to put in our mind. We know that one day he's coming back and will rule and reign in the nations. But what's he doing now? And the Bible tells us that he's in heaven and he ever leaves to make intercession for those that are going to have the blood applied through faith. Pretty cool. We don't always pray to Jesus like we should, but Jesus is praying for us constantly. Isn't that great to think about? And he can do that because of the perfect priesthood that he has, not based on the temporary priesthood of Aaron and sons, but because he's in the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And as far as I can tell, there's only one priest that's ever been in the order of Melchizedek. <laughs> Jesus himself, the eternal Son of God. That's pretty cool to think about. So if you and I come to God through faith in Christ, he will save us to the uttermost and he'll do more through us than we ever could have done our, on our own. So your last fill in the blank here is, in Christ, it's not what you know or what you do. It's who you know and what he can do through you if you yield your life back to him. That's all he's really wanting from us to experience his blessing in our lives is... For us to yield to him, grateful for all that he's done in our hearts and lives. Um, and and we, just, we just don't think about things the way the world does anymore, you know. Um, we think, okay, this world has enormous problems. Our community does too. Our church and most churches do, you know, coming out of the pandemic and, you know, going to the future. Now, I... I'm not doing any sky is falling stuff here. We just had our best month of giving in five and a half years. 
praise God, you know. I mean, uh, second and third largest since I've been here and stuff. You know, the Lord gave us a great July, and He's good that way. But the point is, we look around at all these enormous things that need to happen to see revival happen in the church, awakening in the land, all the different things. And, um, man, if we got the picture of this indestructible life that's in heaven interceding for us, and how everything's going to be okay because he's the king and the priest and the prophet and all the different things, um, then we don't think about how much needs to happen in despair. Here's what we do. It becomes aware in the days of Jesus, they became aware that the crowd needed food. And uh, they're running the numbers. We, don't have, we can't feed them. We've got to send them to a village. You know, even if we could go and buy, we doubt the villages have enough to feed this massive crowd and stuff like that. And one little kid, Andrew brings me to Jesus, said, here's one little kid, and he's willing to give up his entire, his entire little lunch that was given to him by his mom, just a couple fish and loaves. He's willing to give that. Jesus says, that's all I need. All you got's all I need. Right? So he, that kid gave his all, and Jesus took it and fed the entire group through it. And what a tremendous act of faith the kid had, you know. And, and that's all we do. We say, Lord, I can't change all this that needs to be changed in this city, in this county, in this uh, state, this uh, country, this world. But here's all I got, Lord. You, you take it. You take it and do what you can do with it. And we have faith like that then he just starts doing neat stuff all around us and stuff uh, because it's really him doing it anyway, right? And he just loves when we say, I'm all in, I'm yielded to you, Lord. The larger point of this whole passage is the incomparable worth of Jesus who is our priest who will always come through for us in exactly the ways that will be best for us even when we can't see it. And so saved to the uttermost in him, we rejoice in that. But we also rejoice in the fact that um, he is able to, uh, let me just read the verse again because it's so powerful there. He always lives to make intercession for them. We can come to him as that great high priest, a better priest than Israel ever had through Aaron, the son of God. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.